Good afternoon and welcome to Mediascope, the programme for and about the public relations, event management and journalism industries. I'm Ellen Gunning from the Irish Academy of Public Relations and you're very welcome to the programme. Now on this week's show I'm chatting with Paul Harmon who's the Director of Claron Media Ethics Forum. Thanks for taking my call Paul, good to be chatting with you. Likewise, morning. Good morning. Now we're used to the Claron Media Conference which is held every year but you've started a series of masterclasses which is a new development for you. How did this come about? Um, well I suppose it was a simple thing. The, the, the conference has run for nearly 30 years and um, we had decided that we would try and provide something that would be more helpful for younger journalists and younger filmmakers by having more occasional events but also using a new methodology, which is the case study method. I've spent a lot of many years involved in in leadership programs, running leadership programs, and the case method is a very, very useful way of learning uh, in that that context. So we decided, the the committee decided, well, let's see, could we actually apply it to something like media and uh, filmmaking and so on? So we ran the first one at the beginning of December. It worked out very, very well. We put the proposal to the BAI. They were very enthusiastic about the idea. And in fact, they're going to promote it again or back it again uh, during the coming year. And the way it works is quite simple, really, is that before the event, a couple of weeks in advance, people are actually provided with material to study and question. So, for example, for the next one with Lisa Pereira, the studio editor, uh, producer for Morning Ireland, she has provided a series of um, clips from Morning Ireland she has chosen um, where there were issues. And then she has posed a question for people to think about, study, reflect on and so on. So they do that on their own a couple of times if they wish before the actual um, masterclass. And then next Thursday, uh, we have the masterclass. And what she will do is we will do, people will go out into breakout groups or teamwork groups to study amongst themselves, groups of maybe seven or eight. Um, and then they come together with a plenary session with Lisa for an hour and a quarter or so. That's a super idea. So they've had access to the audio. They can play it. Yeah. I know that this is, is focused on fairness and accuracy and why it That's matters. Right. Yeah. So she's giving them real interviews to study. And then presumably the debate is around was the interview fair or was yeah. it accurate or very interesting. Are they are all the examples from Morning Ireland? I know that's yes. her, her baby. OK. Yes. Yeah. And if you're looking at fairness, then um, so it's for young journalists. It's I think it's a maximum 30 people who yeah. can attend the session. So you, you're trying to get them, you're trying to get them engaged, really um, thinking at a deeper level than just the skills base. You're talking about the deeper issues and them being responsible yeah. for really promoting a worldview to a huge number of people. So when you look at fairness, what what are you talking about with fairness? Are you talking about a balance and giving both sides the right to put and their point of view equally? It is, yeah, but it's also dealing with, I mean, one of the examples is where you're dealing with politicians. So uh, obviously they're coming into studio to get a, their point across and, and you can actually be carried away by them. So it's a question of trying to, for example, bring the interview back to the core issue and address it rather than allow people to maybe go off on tangents. Um, because what's driving you is to make sure that the interview is fair, that it's accurate. Um and I think it's it's learning from others. So in other words, I'm hoping that in this case, the younger journalist 
will actually learn from the experiences that Lisa herself has actually had in having to address issues on Morning Ireland where, in fact, things could have gone a different direction. It's interesting so, that you looked at politicians because I suppose we're all conscious of a politician who takes off on a rant, basically, mm-hmm. and gets almost the freedom of the airwaves to give you the gospel according to whatever political party or whatever ministry they actually hold. But then the other side of it is the politician who um, very often, and with due cause, comes out of an interview and says, I wasn't given an opportunity to put my point of view at all. This was a, a sharp, fast, but can you defend yourself kind of interview, which really didn't allow me that fairness or balance um, to put my point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it, it, it can be difficult because this is all live. And it's even more problematic at the moment because most of the people, they're not in their normal environment. They're not in RT in Montrose. They're actually all working from home. Um, uh, so, in fact, the whole coordination of it is, is a bigger challenge. Actually, um, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, where you would normally have eye contact or you it. could signal somebody and say, no, no, go back. Or you, you could talk to them in their... Can they still talk to them in their um, earpieces? That's oh, an yeah. interesting yeah. thought. OK, yeah. so they can still get the signal that says, I think you're being too rough or that's I think it. you're letting them away with murder. That's but you're missing yeah. all the physical signals. Well, also, yes, and also there are other challenges to do with the fact that you, you don't create the same environment as in the studio in terms of uh, soundproofing and so on like that. So there are all sorts of issues there. But I think the main thing, what we're trying to do in some ways, I mean, the focus of the Clare on Media Conference has always been on ethics, professional integrity, mm-hmm. and it's actually helping people. I remember some years ago, uh, Alan Gilson, and, uh, you know, he, he, he did a three-part program um, for RT. It was filmed for a year out in Portran, at the asylum. And, you know, a huge ethical issue arose at the very end. And he made a decision actually to re-edit within 24 hours notice the whole programme, the whole series of programmes. And, it, you know, he spoke at the Clarion Media Conference and it helped people just realise that integrity is, is, that's where it's called into question. In other words, when you have to make big, big, big decisions like that. And what we're hoping in a way with, the, with this new mediatics form is that, it will create a network of younger journalists, younger filmmakers, who in turn will get to know one another through this process. Hopefully in, in time it will be in person. And they can help one another so that if, I have a pro- if I'm a young journalist and I have a problem, I may not be able to ring Lisa Pereira or ring Ellen Gunning, mm-hmm. but what I might be able to do is having got to know people or in similar situations, sort of say, what, what should I do in this situation? What would you advise? That's a, that's a very good point that they have a network of their own peers exactly. who are aware of the ethical issues so, yeah. that, so that when I pick up the phone and ring and say this is my problem what should I do yeah. they're instantly thinking is that ethical from the journalist's point of view is it ethical from the interviewee's point of view yeah. it's it's not a black and white area though so it's an area that um, I think the master classes are clever because it's an area that really people need constantly reminding and upskilling on yeah yeah, and also I think if they're real cases, so I mean, for example, the one, the one we did before uh, Christmas was again was a documentary on BBC with the with the director Michael Beatty. So it was about a um, an Irishman who went out. He was the first Irishman to live with the Indians in the Rockies. Um, okay, and it was a documentary about about his life and so on with one of his distant descendants. Um, but also the issues arose, even, for example, what do you call the people who lived in the Rockies? 
you know, where the Indians, where the American Indians, where the Native Indians. And uh, Michael, the, the producer, the director of the film, just explained the issue he had even with the BBC, um, you know, in terms of terminology. So it's they're writing all the time, but very often a person is on their own and they're wondering about how, who can I talk to about this? Maybe maybe they, they need somebody outside the organisation. So if you're doing it for the BBC, you want to talk to somebody outside the BBC. So if you actually have a network of contacts We've got to know true this focus on ethics and integrity. Then you know you, you might pick one or two of them and sort of say, "Well, that person now could be a, a sort of a help to me going down sort of in the future." You know, because I just realised that he or she is thinking along the same sort of frame or has a very good take on things. And in the case of that um, example of the the Indians in the Rockies, and it's a, it's a very good one. Are they American Indians? Are they Native yeah. Indians? I presume you err on the side of what do people? How do people actually like to be described themselves? even if the BBC feels, or whoever, feels that this is an inappropriate description? Well, in, in that case, the BBC overrode Michael Beatty. Oh, very he, interesting. Yeah, Tell me more. They, no, well, they, basically, he, 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 he was, you know, he's actually spent time out there. He met them and so on. Um, and uh, he decided in the end, OK, look, we're going with it. And then the BBC, no, actually, we're going to call them... Uh, uh, Native American Indians, I think was the phrase. I'm, I'm getting the two of them mixed up now myself. But uh, I just but the they didn't run was, with yeah they didn't run, yeah. run with his description. They changed it That's to something it. that yeah. they felt was more yeah. politically yeah. correct. Yeah. So well, I think it was just it was policy within the BBC. So I think the, the main thing that arises here is that their issues arise. They're not huge issues. Every day there there issues. I mean, at least uh, Prayer will talk about that. It is that, you know, issues arise where you just, in terms of particularly balance, accuracy, um, and she's using one case to do with the vaccine, which again is quite topical. Very. And uh, where, you know, this whole business about family members of staff of a particular institution getting access to the vaccine, and then the question about the coverage of that, and are you sure of your story, uh, and can we run with this, and all of it having to be decided on the spot. So, actually, that's the biggest issue I think for a young journalist, um, that media is demanding not necessarily Ortina, but media broadly demands that if you can get the story out there first and we can break the news, then yeah. we have the story. And that pressure to say it's right, isn't it? And to go with yeah. the story, and maybe it isn't actually right. What what's her overall? I'm putting words in her mouth now and in yours. But what's her overall advice on that? Is it that it really rests with? Because I've often thought that the young journalist is under pressure to bring the story back. That really it's the wiser heads, for want of a better description, in the studio who should have who should take the responsibility for deciding whether or not that story has been sufficiently researched or sufficiently um, cross checked to be aired. Oh, I think, yeah. I think that's the role of the producer and editor. I mean, in the sense that they have to make a final say. In other words, have we actually, you know, let's say, put it this way, check this out. In other words, can, can we rely on that particular source for that that information? Has there been a confirmation? Um, has it been put to the people who for against whom this accusation is being made? And so on, the, the normal things. But in the rush of things... What can happen, of course, is that people can make mistakes. Uh, and that's the role, obviously, of the producer, editors, and so on like that. But I think it's the training that's involved. I mean, people are getting this in journalism schools, but it's where it, it, things are a bit more nuanced. It yes. is fair. It's not black and white. Yeah. 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 In other and words, it, and, and, uh, I suppose it's... Th- 
I often just say to people, it's, look, it's, it's what's the right thing to do here? And very often your your own, you can be a little bit prejudiced or biased or, you, you know, there are underlying things to do with all sorts of reasons, your own background and education and so on. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to the crunch, if you can actually check that with somebody else, very often you can't do it maybe with somebody who's in your own organization or the other person or, or in a competitor, com- competitor. But if you actually have a friend that you've got to know through this process, that you can pick up the phone and say, look, I have an issue. I'm not sure about this. What and yet there's, it's a very difficult one because really what you're asking people to do is exercise a sort of moral compass. Which is right. Mm. Um, it's like, would you? Is that a fair way to treat somebody? Should that particular issue be highlighted because that person isn't mm. in the media or whatever? But the the moral compass is also subjective. So you have you've the fear. How do you counter against somebody who says, really, anything I report that's negative may be unfair to somebody, and therefore I almost suppress everything. Do you know that thin line where you're saying, no, no, that that's actually fair game. That's a good story. That should be out there. That yeah. affects somebody negatively, but it's it's well researched and it's balanced and it's it's tough that it reflects negatively on them, but it's a good story. So how do you balance that out? How do you not? How do you risk not running to the other side? I'm asking you the impossible questions today, but I'm enjoying this. How do you manage to to keep that balance, if you like, among that group of colleagues? Well, I think there are different types of stories, right? I think that uh, where you have time, you're, you're professionally bound actually to explore, explore all angles on it. But I'm thinking about most news stories, which is what generally tends to be the focus of, of, of the life of most journalists, mm-hmm. is that um, you come across an incident. I mean, I remember talking to a, one, of the, one of the journalists in one of the main newspapers. Where he was just sort of saying, when you come, on acc- come across an accident, um, within 30 seconds, you've made a judgment of actually what happened based on just the, the information you actually have to, you, to, to, to your eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, it's very difficult to change that. No, you, you, you've actually, I've witnessed it, I've seen it, so on. Um, whereas, in fact, if you can actually step back and perhaps even just run it by somebody else and said, look, these are the circumstances. Um, and he, the other person might just sort of say, well, did you check this? Did you check the other in order to make sure that you've actually got that balance? Yeah, it may be that you're right, but it's that somebody points you towards get two other sources or two other touch points. Or, but also the, the, there can be times where the, a very strong subjective element comes into it. You know, which is, um, I can't give an example offhand, but it is, you can, somebody's been run down. You come across just an accident. Um, and, uh, you know, you make a quick judgment because of just what you've actually seen, where there may be a, some other circumstance which you haven't seen. Uh, and that you're that not you as conscious of, yeah. Yes, and and so you, you sort of, if you make it just on the basis of what I've actually seen, well, now most journalists would actually say they'd interview or ask people who other people who actually maybe saw the thing and so on. But the fact of the matter is that, I mean, this journalist was making the point to me that, in fact, you, you jump to an immediate conclusion because you've been a personal witness of the thing you have a take on it and so we all actually do that yeah that's, absolutely. it's very fair and what about the idea then that uh, balance isn't necessarily the right thing to always do so should you always balance a story something like um drink driving can you actually put a, an argument a fair and balanced argument in favor of drink driving and i i must admit when you said vaccine i thought wow can you put a fair argument in favor of not wearing a mask not taking the vaccine what about those kind? Because of, they're really ethical issues as well. Well, I, I think the thing is that every journalist 
and the same way with filmmakers, I think what they have to do is develop certain tools which allow them to actually uh, filter things. In other words, to, to take, let's say, subjective elements out of it to make sure, in fact, that the, 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 there is this fairness there, that there is accuracy, which is crucial, um, and that you're actually giving as much of the picture as you can. I mean, obviously, in in, in some cases, uh, like the one drink driving and so on like that, um, it's not that you're actually um, trying to, uh, you know, I don't know, lobby on behalf of greater freedom with regard to drink and, and driving and so on like that. But it may be just sort of saying, well, look, professionally, I have a responsibility here to make sure that I portray this thing as best as I can in terms of, of balance, accuracy and so on, exactly what And happened. allow the reader or the listener or the viewer to decide that it was a case that there was too much drink and I'm against it, as opposed to the journalist taking a position on it. Your second um, masterclass, sorry, is on ethics and responsibilities of filming people in sensitive situations. And I just wanted to talk to you about that briefly as well, because mm. sensitive, you mentioned... The, the Michael Beatty documentary. Um, you mentioned that there was an earlier Alan Gilson, and there's probably a better one in Port mm. Ran. The idea of tell me what are the the ethical issues that arise when you're dealing with people who maybe are not aware of their own of protecting their own, themselves. Well, this is uh, this is a really interesting one. So Martina Durac of Phoenix Films, with support from the BAI, um, she filmed for a year in Cool Mine, um, which is, uh, you're probably familiar with it, but it's helping people who have uh, drug problems rehabilitation? with, with drink, drink, drink and drugs, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically got the permission of the people in Cool Mine and support from the BAI. They filmed over a whole year. Okay. And out of that, they produced uh, three documentaries, or three-part uh, documentary, uh, which was run on TV3. Um, there in three years ago. Um, so I, I was fascinated by this because I think the whole idea about um, filming people um, in situations where they are very, very vulnerable. Oh, they're at their lowest ebb, I would think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And getting, and all the whole business about permissions, about um making sure that people always have the right in a way to withdraw, for example. In other words, they, they may be enthusiastic about the beginning to begin with, appearing on television, and then they begin to think about it. Oh, my God, if my neighbours or relatives see this, be appearing. This is my oh. life exposed to the world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, so the whole business about consent there is a huge issue. Um, it's also the whole question about the, the way things are filmed. So people have... People who've never, let's say, had an experience of, in the case of Alan Ginston, of being in a, an asylum mm-hmm. uh, or having friends or relatives who are actually in those situations. I have, I, I have a friend who spent much of his life in one of, in these kind of institutions, was with me at college. And uh, it's, just, it's just it's an enormous insight into what actually goes on in these places. In the case of Cool Mine, I mean, here you have people who, uh, you know, have a serious problem with either drink or drugs. And they're trying to find their way back in society. And here's Kuhnmein actually helping them. So the idea that you would allow this to be filmed, I mean, it's a tremendous tribute to Martina uh, and her team to be able to get 
But hugely that that she got it. And you can see the massive benefit to society, to people like me who have no idea what goes on inside Cool Mind, that this documentary series shows me. It it, it opens a window into that world. But equally, if you allow people that... If they consent when they're at their lowest ebb and they say, look, I don't really care and it doesn't matter to me, film whatever you like. There has to be an issue then that you you create these three wonderful documentaries and there's the, at least the potential for a tsunami of somebody, of everybody saying, no, I'm, I'm much better now. I've come out the other side. I'm very grateful for everything they've done for me and I don't want the neighbours watching a programme about me. So there's a, there's a danger that you might actually never get to broadcast what you've created, isn't there? Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's the risk. Um, I mean, obviously, they, they, you plan accordingly, and obviously, Cool Mind themselves presumably were very much supportive of this because obviously it, it, it helped to understand the incredible work that they're actually doing. And when she made the documentary, were people actually seen? So it wasn't the case that you, you know, the way you can fuzz out children's faces or whatever. It was a case no, that no, 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 this no, is Mary, no. this is Ellen, this is John, and you're following their, their story over a 12-month period. Yeah. And yeah. was there um, was there a gap afterwards then? Because I'm also conscious that one of the issues in my head would be that you cover this story of somebody and you think they've done so well and they've come out the other mm. side and then they relapse. And by the yeah. time you're actually showing, broadcasting the programme, the neighbour is saying, ha, ah, well, that didn't last very long. Yeah. You know, it was an intro, but you've now created a whole other perception of that person in people's heads. It's a huge issue. What was her biggest challenge, did she think? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, we haven't actually gone into the, 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 uh, the details and I'm not sure how we're going to do this. We're, we're just, we've been teasing it out because it's, it's very different <laughs> what we're doing next Thursday. It is, yeah. The Morning Ireland. But to give me an example, going back to Alan Gilson, and so he, he filmed over a year as well in, in, in the asylum. And um, the, the problem for him was that when he arrived, first of all, he met one of the patients. Uh, and this patient proved to be a crucial uh, intermediary with the other patients in, okay. in, in, the, in, in, in the asylum. Um and uh, I think George was his name, and uh, he opened doors, you know, to other people and so on, convinced them to take part and so on. And Alan, Alan had actually finished filming. It was a produ- production for RT, a three-part. Mm-hmm. And um, two weeks beforehand, before the, the actual um, uh, submission date, okay. submission date, yeah, yeah, and uh, he got a phone call from the medical director of the asylum to say that... Uh, um, George was actually quite ill. So he actually said, OK, fine, you know, I'd drop out and see him. Uh, Alan's a very, uh, you know, I mean, he'd have a great sensitivity for things like that. Mm-hmm. While he was sitting beside him at the bedside, George said to him, by the way, I think I'd prefer not to appear in television. Now, the thing is that because George had played such a role in the actual <laughs> the development of the documentary, he figured an awful lot. He was the central linchpin almost, yeah. Yeah. So as a consequence, uh, Alan realised, my goodness, this caused a huge problem. So he, he contacted the medical director and the medical director said, look, he, he'd be fine in a few days, so come back again. But Alan went to see him again and George repeated his request that he would not appear on television. So uh, with, I, I don't know, was it less than, I don't know, maybe four hours or something, 38 hours or something like that, Alan decided that they would re-edit 
the three programmes on the basis that George had withdrawn his consent. Now, that, Alan did this at one of the Clareon media conferences. And like there were people there, uh, senior people in, in media who were sort of saying, Oh, that was an incredible example of integrity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, I remember talking to one woman, she was working in um, commercial television, a producer, and she said, you know, she said, I don't think I could have done that. Actually, I was thinking the, the sheer physical challenge of yeah. going back over that volume of yeah. work and removing yeah. somebody who was a, a central part of it. That's it. Huge, yeah, yeah. Hugely ethical, hugely admirable. Um, my God, what a decision. So tell me something. That the, the thing I'm really conscious of as we're chatting is that these are issues that are of interest to a much, much wider audience. Are you live streaming? Are you offering um, videos of the, the interactions afterwards? Is there any way that people who aren't actually physically attending can access the information and the debates afterwards? Not really, because the, the I, I think the whole... Um, methodology of the, the case study method and the way we're, we're applying it here is that the famous Chatham House rule, in other words, that you don't attribute to people things that they actually say in environments like that, because it actually could inhibit them, because they feel, well, actually, people could, you know, if I make a mistake here or whatever. So uh, we've always adopted the approach that, look, it's, it's those who take part, you know, they can talk about it afterwards, but it would never said, say, you know, Ellen said X. Mm. Or, or Fergal said why you know in other words that they, basically what you say in that environment is kept there is prote- you're, 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 you're protected and you can talk about things and so on like that but you don't actually attribute you called it the Chatham House rule but other people um, would refer to it as you know what happens on tour stays on tour and I, I think everybody understands that that if you're if you're honestly debating in a closed environment, it's very different to somebody playing a video clip back a few oh, times yeah. and saying, yeah. no, I think that's wrong and I now want to debate it with you. It, it moves it into a different level altogether. For anybody who is still looking to book either, are there places available, Paul? Yes, there are a few places left. Yeah, we've limited to 30. Um, and they can contact uh, info at Clairon, that's I-N-F-O, at claironmedia.com. Or my phone number is 086-859-6052. Very happy to, to, to talk to anybody who wants further information. 086-859-6052. Or info at Claron Media, C-L-E-R-A-U-N media.com. Paul Harmon, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Ellen. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Well, now, that's it for another week. Can you believe it, that flu? If you have information you'd like to share with listeners or you have a good story to tell, sure, pop me an email, mediascope at dublincityfm.ie. And don't forget, you can hear podcasts of this and previous Mediascope programmes on www.irishacademy.ie. I'm Ellen Gunning. Sound this week was by Fergal Daly. My thanks to Paul Harmon and thanks to you for being with me today. I look forward to the pleasure of your company at the same time next week. So until then, goodbye.